your spirit. We say yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. yes in your spirit that you can praise the name of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right. 
that again. You are my, you are my You are my hope. You are. 
you declare that this morning. You are my strength. Strength like no worship him in this place. If you need his strength, God is your strength. Hallelujah. 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 God, we give you praise and we give you honor. There's a spirit of worship in this house. Right where you are, forget about your surroundings. Can you just lift your hands and it's just you and God right now. It's just you and Jesus. You may have come in here depleted, but we want you to leave with your tank on full. Hallelujah. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is there anybody that needs a touch from God this morning? You are my strength. Can you declare that? Strength like no other. Strength like no other. It reaches to me. Reaches to me. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and give God praise all over the building. Hallelujah. 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 I don't know if you really know what that means. Have you ever been in a really low place in your life? Where it's late in the midnight hour and it's too late to call your friends. It's too late to call your family and you have a problem. And it seems like no one understands. But somewhere you feel the presence of God come into your room and without a word ushered, you know that it's going to be all right. And God is letting you know that I'm here with you, <laughs> that I'm here to comfort you and I'm here to guide you. I've come to tell you that if you're on your last leg, that God will be your strength for they that wait upon the Lord. He shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you don't have any hope this morning, I've come to tell you, hope is here this morning. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give God some praise for his strength. Hallelujah. Then sings my soul, <laughs> my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. How great thou art. Can you say that?
Father, we honor you. Oh, come on and worship him in the building. Clap your hands and give God glory. It's a privilege and it's an honor to be with you corporately to worship. It's great to worship by yourself. But there was an old song that says, when all God's children get together, what a time. It is so wonderful to corporately worship God with you. Aren't you glad to be with your church family this morning? online and in the building. Oh, we're so glad to see you. There is a word from God, and as the praise team comes down and comes into the audience today, Brother Dave, can you take that with you? I'm not going to need it. I'm going to stand. There is a word from God today. <laughs> we're in a series called How to Be What? Happy. How many of you need some happiness in your life, some true happiness, not the happiness that depends on happenings, not the happiness that comes and goes with whims that when things are good in your life, you're happy. And when things are low in your life, you're miserable and depressed. But God wants you to have a happiness, a peace, a blessedness that passes all understanding. And we're going to start today in the book of Matthew chapter five, one verse for today. We'll have other verses throughout the sermon, but we won't have to stand long to read. Aren't you glad for that today? It's a simple verse. Can you read it with me today? What does it say? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. By this scripture, other related scriptures, and aid of the Holy Spirit, I want to speak to you from this topic today. Good grief. <laughs> Good grief. You may be seated in the presence of God. Lord, speak your servants. Listen. Thank you to our praise team. Guys, give them a hand. Give Turhan and Haley and all the praise team a hand. They work very hard. They come in early and they put in their best to give you an opportunity in the atmosphere of worship. I don't know about you, but there's just something about the atmosphere of worship, even before the word of God goes forth. There's something about the atmosphere of worship when you get into the presence of God. And I'm so grateful for them and the things that they do. Um, God has blessed us with some good musicians and good praise team that will work really hard. And I'm grateful for you. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, we are in a series, as I spoke to you earlier, called How to Be Happy. We found out last week that that word happy is a little different than what we're normally used to. That word is makarioi or makarios. Everybody say makarios. 
which means supremely blessed, totally satisfied, not lacking anything, also to be enviable. In other words, you are to be envied. In other words, if you find out how to be blessed, how God wants you to be blessed, that the world will envy you because they will want what you have. Now that sounds great in our world because we like that in our westernized culture because there's a little vanity in us sometimes and a lot of times it's about us and we want people to look at us and want what we have but most times it's money and status and houses and cars and land but Jesus does something different this morning as he starts this sermon series he doesn't start it with a uh, a human centric or a person centric uh, message which we are used to hearing in today time we generally come to church and when we hear the words how to be happy we get excited because we say I'm going to receive a blessing today so I'm going to leave here feeling encouraged I'm going to leave here feeling lifted up I'm going to leave here feeling impacted and energized that I am going to feel great but Jesus does something different because Jesus is not trying to get a crowd for Sunday morning Jesus is on an agenda Jesus is, is coming to do something that is much more different than anything that they've ever seen and he starts his sermon series by saying blessed are the poor in spirit not blessed are the rich not blessed are the wealthy but he starts by saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs not will be but theirs is the kingdom of God in other words that if you will completely abandon your pride completely abandon your will and submit your will to God you are blessed right now because you are in the kingdom of God because God came and preached the gospel and what was the gospel the gospel was the gospel of the kingdom everybody say kingdom Jesus preached a kingdom message because he is a king that is coming back for a church, a bride, a kingdom. And he says, I know that you are living right now in Judea and you are under the kingdom, the earthly kingdom of Rome. But I have a kingdom that cannot be seen by man. I have a kingdom that does not live within geographical boundaries. But I have a kingdom that lives within the hearts of men. I have a kingdom that a nuclear bomb can't take out. I have a kingdom that an army cannot conquer. I have a kingdom in the hearts of men that will encourage the heart of the believer and draw all men unto me. And my kingdom is not designed how most kingdoms are designed, that power and wealth and status and the size of your army determines how powerful your kingdom is. But the Bible says the kingdoms of this world and of our Christ. And what does that mean? That he is coming back to be our sovereign. He is coming back. The Bible in Revelation says that he is coming back and he's going to have a, a sash down his thigh sitting on a stallion and it will say king of kings and lord of lords yes we have kingdoms here and we don't like to think of the thought of America bowing to anybody we think that we are a superpower and that we as so goes America so goes the world but I have come to tell you that one day America will have to bow the knee to God for God is the only king. It's okay to have kings, but he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is not just blessing America. God has people all throughout the world in his kingdom. 
He has people in Asia and Europe and Africa in his kingdom. He has people in Australia in his kingdom. He has people in all of his continents in his kingdom. He has people in Hawaii in his kingdom. He has people in Puerto Rico in his kingdom. He has people in South America in his kingdom. God's kingdom lives in the hearts of men and it cannot be extinguished. And he is not unaware, un unaware that he is preaching to people who would love to hear a nice warm sermon. Why? Because they are under oppression. They are under the boot of Rome. They don't have good health care. They have quack doctors in most cases. Life expectancy is not long. They are under political oppression. They are being robbed by the IRS, which we call publicans. Matthew is one of them that the government is taking all of their resources and all of their money. People are poor. People are in bad situations. People have no hope. And I hear the Bible say that the people that are living in darkness have seen a great light. Do you know what that light is? That light is Jesus Christ. <laughs> you would think that Jesus would come when he sees these people with political pressure and economic pressure and, and improper health care and governmental oppression, you think he would come and say, I'm coming to give you universal health care. I'm coming to make sure that everybody can eat, that there's a chicken in every pot. I'm coming to make sure that everybody has a say and has a completely democratic government. But Jesus doesn't talk about a democratic government. Jesus is not a Democrat nor Republican. Jesus talks about the kingdom. See, we live in a constitutional republic here, and we're used to the people having a say. But in a kingdom, the only opinion that matters is that of the king. <laughs> so what the king says is important is important. What the king said is important is what we follow, not what we feel. And it's important for us to know that. Why? Because the Bible says that the heart is wickedly deceitful. We were born bad. We were born liking the wrong things. We are born wanting the wrong things. How do you know? That's why the world is filled with sin. Sin feels good. Feel, sin looks good. Sin feels good. It smells good. It tastes good. But guess what? Sin will take you farther than you want to stay. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and take you farther than you want to go and cost you more than what you want to pay. And Jesus is coming to eradicate his people from the bondage of sin. For those who he wants in his kingdom are bound by sin. They are under the law and he is not unaware that they have culturally relevant problems that he can speak to. He is not ignoring those, nor is he ignoring the needs of the people. However, his agenda is not their agenda. Jesus is on a mission and he only has three years to complete the mission. So he's going to keep it simple and succinct to the things that matter most. And he gives... An impactful perspective that actually covers four functions. Because as we look at what we call the Sermon on the Mount, it covers different things. It's not just one sermon where you can just use it for one application. But the Bible says that the word of God is living and active. So if you want to know how, how to live and have a code of ethics, you can find that in the B attitude. If you want to find a comparative analysis of what really matters, that is eternal, and what doesn't matter versus the temporal, that is the B attitudes. If you want to see Jesus challenge the religious and superficial faith with true faith in Christ, that is the Beatitudes. He gives you a juxtaposition of what the world values versus what he values, and I'll come on and give you a secret. Only what he values matters. 
He shows us fulfillment in the, in the New Testament. And, and we listen to Jesus' first sermon. And we're waiting for him to tell us we're not going to be poor. And we're not going to have, have all these other things. And the first thing he starts out with is blessed are the poor. Blessed are the spiritually destitute. And most of us, when we're checking out a church, we'll give the pastor at least two or three times before we feel that he's not what we want to hear. And we want to go somewhere else. So he didn't preach a sermon that tickled the ears uh, this time. So what they say is, hey, Jesus. I'll give you another shot at it. I, I liked your sermon. It was good, but I want something that makes me feel good. And he said, blessed are they that mourn, therefore they shall be comforted. And they say, I like that because I've got things I mourn about. I've got things that, that are in my life that make me sad. God, I want you to comfort me. I want you to make me feel better. I like this type of gospel. You know, people fill up churches full of people when people are saying what they want to. When they can pick and choose the, the messages that they listen to. I'll come if you preach about this, but I won't come if you preach about that. I'll come if you preach about this. I won't preach about, but not if you preach about that. But Jesus gives it all because his principles are not a la carte. His principles are not a buffet, but they are a full course meal to be lived in their entirety. In order to get the full effect of Christian living, you don't get to pick and choose which parts of the Bible you follow and which parts you don't. You have to completely be spiritually poor and dependent on God and say, I don't know what's best for me. Give me whatever I need. So he's opened the door and let them know that if you're going to want to be in the kingdom, you're going to have to be spiritually poor. And now that I have you completely dependent on me, I'm going to talk to you about mourning. And when people hear, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We feel comforted. We feel loved. But on its surface, that would seem to speak directly to our prevailing issues of the day. But there is a danger when we use the word of God as a topical anesthesia which only numbs the pain of our life for a second because God is wanting to do something so much more in our lives than just numb the pain. Some of us go week to week and say, if I can just get to church and the praise team can lift up my spirits and the pastor can preach something that makes me feel good, I can make it through the week and I'll come back. And we stop using the word of God for what it was intended for and we begin to use it as anesthesia so we can live in a euphoric life where we are not in touch with reality and we can pretend that every day is a sermon and every day is perfect and we only hear the surface, but Jesus Jesus' word is not anesthesia, but it is a scalpel that cuts to the heart of our issues. It exposes things that are beneath the surface and deals with things that can't be seen. Those things that we don't want to talk about. Those things that our friends don't know about. Those hurts and abuses and misuses and molestations that have been in our life. The things that we try to cover up. Jesus says, no, I don't want to just make you happy on the surface. There are some things on the inside of you that I need to get to. That's why the Bible says that the word of a God is a two-edged sword and it cuts down to the very marrow and the bone. He is getting down to the heart of the issue. 
God is not looking for people who want just a superficial feel-good sermon, but he is wanting somebody to say, God, do surgery on me. I remember a song when I was little that said, search me, Lord. Shine your light down from heaven on my soul. And if you find anything that shouldn't be, take it out and straighten me because I want to be right and I want to be saved and I want to be whole. I don't want to just look whole, but I want to be whole. I don't want to just look saved, but I want to be saved. I don't want to just talk free, but I want to be free. <laughs> Hallelujah. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to look deeper below the surface. Touch your neighbor and say, I've got to go deeper. <laughs> In order to go higher in God, you've got to go deeper into the word. You have to go deeper into the bowels of his word. The word of God is much more than an impressive Sunday morning soliloquy where we sit and we listen to the preacher give us a prolific dissertation on what we like to hear. But the word of God is there to change our life. And what he is simply saying to them is, I don't want it where you just can't hear what he said. I want you to hear what I'm saying saying because many times you can repeat the words that I said but you're not really hearing what I'm saying in the words of a famous comedian do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth what do you mean in other words many of us have heard the word and not read it for ourselves and we parrot the bible we parrot scriptures we know scriptures for God so loved the what world that he gave his only begotten son we hear the word but we don't hear the word we heard it we memorized it but we haven't really internalized it and begin to pray about it and allow God to make it applicable to our life so if you take this scripture on the top you will miss what it is really saying because we say oh that sounds great pastor you can go home I got it I came and I was mourning I was in a bad mood and now God said happier they that more he's gonna comfort me but that is not what he is saying at all for years we've heard what he has said and many times we've heard the Beatitudes we have memorized them we make songs sometimes to learn things that he said but do you really know what he's saying for Revelations 2 and 29 puts it this way he's talking to an audience of churches that have nothing wrong audibly he is talking to a group of churches that have to sit in front of somebody and read his letter to him so they can hear with their ears just fine but he says this to her and it messed me up. He's talking to people that can hear and they don't have any problem with their three bones in their ear that helped them to hear. But he says this in Revelation 2 and 29. He that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. It is possible for your physical ears to be open and your spiritual ears to be closed. It's possible to hear something and completely miss the heart of what God is really saying to us. It is possible to walk in and out of a sermon and hear what you want to hear and not be prayerful. When the sermon is going forth, you need to be praying. Not just for me. Please pray for me so I'll say what God wants me to say. But you need to be praying for yourself. Lord, let me hear what you want me to hear. 
I will say it this way. He that hath an ear, let him hear. If you have a spiritual ear, today you need to listen up to what he's saying. I wish I had somebody this morning that would declare, Lord, I'm not worried about the pump and circumstance, whether the praise team is good or not, and they were. I want you to help me, help me to hear with my spiritual ear what is passing through my physical ear. So when he says, blessed are they that mourn, what is he really talking about? What does he really mean? What does blessed are they that mourn mean? What is Jesus talking about? When you listen with your spiritual ear, you can hear it real good. I was talking to a friend who's probably watching this feed, and he's a, he's a preacher friend of mine, and we were talking, and I said, I'm going to give you a scripture, and you give me the first thing that comes to mind. Make a 30-second sermon off of it. Don't stop. Don't do anything. Tell me what you hear. And he said, okay. I said, bless the day that mourn. Make me shout off of that. He said, uh, uh, make you shout off of that. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound, sound very shout worthy. But I said, you got to listen, not with your ear. You got to listen with your spirit. Go ahead and put the definition up because what God, he is talking about is not regular human mourning. He's talking about godly sorrow. Everybody say godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. What does it say it is? When what saddens God saddens me. When what makes God sad makes me sad. He says, blessed are you who mourn and are upset about what I'm upset about. For you shall be comforted. What makes God sad? What makes God's heart hurt? What makes God's heart bleed? Does God get sad? Yes, he does. Pull up Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, and we'll see what makes God sad. Let's read it together. What does it say? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh, Jesus. Let's go back to that. I need to stop right there. We need to read that. What makes God say? He didn't say it was just evil sometimes. It was all the time that they sought to do wickedness all the time. They were over, 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 over worldly eyes. I see some kids in here. But how we focus on some things all the time. You can't turn on the television unless there's a person in a bikini trying to sell the hamburger. What does that have to do with the hamburger? Nothing. But it's because the intents of man's hearts are evil all the time. And I can get your attention because your heart is focused on the wrong thing. Let's read that again. We need to read that. Let's read it again. It says, well, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. What does verse 6 say? Go ahead to verse 6, guys. What does it say? And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him. God was sad. God was upset. It grieves God when the hearts of men become distant from him. 
It makes God sad when the creation he built to worship him turns their back on him and decides that I will not follow you. It grieves God when we look on social media and we follow YouTube influencers, but we won't show up in church. It grieves God when we follow other philosophies and new age philosophies, but we've turned our back on the church and say that the church is no longer relevant. The church no longer has answers. What you are saying is, God, you are antiquated and your way is antiquated and I'm going to find in my wisdom a new way to live my life. But the problem is that when you leave God, you don't evolve, you devolve. And the further you get away from God, the lower you get. And you can look around even to the cartoons right now in our, in our society. There are some things that my kids want to see. We can't take them. Why? Because the intents of man's heart are evil all the time and it begins to socially devolve. What saddens God makes us happy. What God would have us be ashamed of, we said we're proud of. When the intents of man's heart are evil all the time. We become distant from God and it grieves him because not just because you're leaving him, but because he knows the end result of sin. The Bible said that there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end therein is death. It's because he's at the end of the story and he knows that if you leave him and you follow this path of sin, there is no life beyond God. So the further you get away from God, the further and closer you get to death. That sin is death. It regrieves God. God wants us to be sad about what he said about. Why? Because if something makes us sad, we tend to avoid it. Happiness comes when we avoid attitudes, ideologies, and mindsets that will cause us to drift from God and our love for him to wax cold. The society has made us just like a frog in water, turn, huh? If you, put a tur if you put a frog in water and you slowly turn up the heat, you'll cook him to death, but he won't ever move because the heat goes up in increments and he adjusts to it. Immorality in our world has ticked up and ticked up and ticked up. And we have said nothing about it. We've allowed our kids and children to ingest it. And to the point of what would absolutely make God cry doesn't even make us blink at all. It's on our television. It's in our commercials. It's in our school curriculums. Teaching us slowly to abandon God. And we're not sad about it. We live with it. And that is what makes our love wax cold until the evil looks good and the good looks evil. Isaiah said it this way. Woe unto those who make it turn evil good and turn good into evil. In other words, we have allowed the world to so affect us that you cannot hardly tell the values of the church from the values of the world. This is why the world is not coming to church. One of the reasons is because their hearts are not inclined to God. But another reason is when they come in, all they see is a watered down version of themselves. They see Christians not trying to be like Christ. They see Christians trying to be like them, to look like them, to act like them, to talk like them, to be quote unquote normal. But I guess what? If normal is on my way to hell, I don't want to be normal anymore. If normal is not being close to God, I don't want to be normal. 
anymore. If Norma is living, it might as well be dead because I can't feel the presence of God. And I see other people's hands raised. I see other people feeling the spirit of God. But I'm numb. I don't want to be normal. In America, four out of ten people don't have more than $400 for the average emergency. That was the statistic before the pandemic. And I would tell people, do you know that normal is broke? I don't want to be normal. to be normal. God never called us to be normal. He said in 1 Peter 2 and 9, for you are a peculiar people. You're different. You're makarios. You're blessed when you live the life I want you to live. You have something that the world looks at and they envy it because they say I have all this money in my pocket and I'm still sad and they broke as a joke and they always got a smile on their face. What is it that they have? Because I'm rich in Christ. Nothing wrong with having money, but money won't fix your problem. Jesus will fix your problem. That's why in Psalms 1, 1, 1 and 1, it pulls it up and says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, he, nor he stands in the way of sinners. Let's read it together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. Now you look at that and you see that. Leave that up for a second. Go back to that. If you're listening with your regular ears, you won't hear it, but I want to, I want you to listen with your spiritual ear. Do you see something? It's not just walking, but it's walking, it's standing, and then it's sitting. Everybody say walking, standing, sitting. <laughs> it's a progression of devolution. First, I don't be, I'm not careful of the music I listen to. Then they slide the music in, and it has un ungodly ideologies in it. But it's just music. You're not going to hell for it. You're walking. But after a while, the music gets into you, and you want to do what the music says. So instead of being moving, I'm, I, I'm listening to everything I shouldn't listen to. But I'm still going to church. I'm showing up to church. I'm raising my hand. But after a while, you keep moving. Bring me that chair. You're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You're listening to ungodly people for your life. You're looking at Jay-Z and Beyonce and other people just because they have a gift to sing doesn't mean they have a gift to tell you how to run their life. And you start walking, and you're still walking. But after a while, once you listen to them and you let the world get you, after a while, you start to, you can't walk as good anymore. <laughs> I don't feel you like I used to. God, I, I'm distant. <laughs> My prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. I'm coming to church. I know you're supposed to come to church, but it really just seems like a job to me. I really don't feel anything. It's because you have been walking in the counsel of the wicked. You have allowed the world to start in interrogating and getting in and infiltrating your mind to the point now you can't be with God because you waited down. And now you waited down, and instead of trying to break free, you say, well, if, it's, if I can't walk, I just stand. And I start to stand in my sins. Instead of fighting to be holy, instead of saying I have issues, but I'm not going to stay in my issues, I just say, well, this is just who I am. This is my new identity. <laughs> this is now who I am. And then we begin to identify as our sins. You are not your sins. But we begin to identify it. And after we've been identified with it long, we get tired of standing. We get comfortable in it. 
and we just have a seat. It was just one movie, just a song. Yeah, they say some bad stuff, but I like the beat. Just one movie, just a little nudity. You can't get a good bang up with Brother Ernie unless you can't get a good explosion movie unless it's rated R, can you? But, but I didn't guard my heart. The Bible says guard your heart with all your due diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. So now we have youth that would say, I would never live with somebody before I'm married. <laughs> They're walking around, I live holy. I would never uh, have, have, have premarital, you know what, before I'm married. We got kids in here after a while. Everybody else is doing it, so they start standing. And they're standing because they're watching. And they're seeing everybody else do it. So after a while, they sit in it. Now they're living together. They're not bothered by it at all. What makes God sad no longer bothers them. They're not mourning their sin. They're excited about it. They make funny quotes like Netflix and chill. That's called lie and go sin. Because what makes God sad no longer makes them sad. And after a while, Satan has his way. He doesn't get you when you first start sinning. You don't get pregnant on the first time. Do you, Tarhan? You don't, most times, you don't, he don't know, Tarhan, I ain't been pregnant. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of times, you don't get hooked on the first drug, but it's a gateway drug. And after you keep walking around with it and flirting with it, you start to stand in it. Then you, it doesn't bother you anymore. Your conscience, the Bible says, is seared with a hot iron. In other words, it no longer bothers you. And then you sit it. And then you take on what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. Well, God will forgive me. We live in a hyper grace culture of people that feel like they can they can uh, live any kind of way and get to heaven. I've come to tell you that none but the righteous shall see God. If you decide to live in your sins and be apart from God on this earth, you're going to be apart from God in eternity. You can't have it both ways. You've got to determine whatever makes God sad makes me sad. Whatever upsets God upsets me. And why is God sad about it? Because he knows he's right and he's righteous and he's just and he's pure. And if you don't, if you don't follow him and abandon your sins on this earth, he won't be able, not because he's not able, but because he's right and pure, to save you on the day of judgment. When you're done, you have to stand before the throne seat of judgment. And whatever you've done while you were in this body, you have to give account of. And God has to cry as he sends the ones he loves into eternal torment yes it still exists you might not come back because I said it but hell is real the Bible calls it a place where there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal darkness away from God we've gotten so upset and try to please people so much we don't bring up hell because we don't want to be deemed as a fire and brimstone preacher but I'd rather go ahead and tell you now than I get to the gate and God said I can't let you in because you didn't tell them the truth heaven is a prepared place 
for prepared people. But hell is a place. It's a real place. And it's a prepared place. And it was prepared for the devil and his angels. But the Bible says because of the wickedness in the hearts of men, hell expands itself. So just like heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, hell is a prepared place for unprepared people. If you're not prepared when you die, that's it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He's happy because his end is going to be better than his beginning. See, on the, thank you, Holy Spirit, Lazarus didn't look like the winner in the story. When you look at the, the story of Lazarus when he was having dogs sicked on him and he was poor and the dogs were licking his wounds, you would have rather been the rich man because he had money and he had all that he could have and he, he couldn't even give Lazarus crumbs off of his table. He had plenty in life, but guess what? Lazarus was prepared for the future and he was prepared for the now and he wasn't prepared for the future and the Bible says that Davidus one day died and he lifted up his eyes in hell and he was so tormented that he looked over to Lazarus, the one that had his spiritual priorities, the one who was a mourner, the one who was sad about what God may say, and he was tormented in the flame, and he looked over, and he said, Lord, I know I live wrong, but do one favor for me. Tell Lazarus, the one that I wouldn't feed, tell Lazarus, the one that I said was a church person, tell Lazarus, the one that I said was quirky and church nerdy, tell Lazarus, the one that I called a Jesus freak, tell Lazarus, the one that wouldn't be promiscuous. Tell Lazarus, the one that got tired of smoking weed. Tell Lazarus, the one that got tired of being a drunkard and changing life. Tell him to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue. Because I'm tormented in the flame. Sometimes we're around sin so much till we stop walking. We stand. The only problem with taking this seat is that there's another seat you're going to have to stand before. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible itself says there men were given according to their deeds that they did while in the body, whether they be good or evil. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. That if we allow the ideologies of the world to make us proud about what God hates and to throw it in his face and to try to be like the world. If you can't tell any difference between you and your worldly friend, you are in trouble. If you like everything they like, it's okay to like things. I'm not telling you that you can't be in the world. But the problem is that we don't stand in the world. We allow the world to get into us. If there is no difference, why? Because in this world, God creates boundaries. Everybody said boundaries. <laughs> See, boundaries, we look at as negative things. But boundaries are only bad for people who like to cross them. 
Boundaries are not hate. Boundaries are love. Boundaries are lines of demarcation saying there is danger over here. So therefore, I do not want you to go over here because it looks good. There is a way that seems right to man. It feels good. It sounds good. It tastes good. That's why you keep doing it because we smells good to you. It feels good to your body. That's why you keep being promiscuous because of the feels and the chill you get in your body. We've lied to our youth and told them that sin feels bad. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if your mama and daddy told you that they lie, sin feels real good. The problem is not with sin feeling good. It's what you have to deal with after the sin has grabbed you. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and he that defiled the temple, him will God destroy. Vaping feels good. Nicotine feels good. But guess what? Having to have oxygen doesn't. Lung cancer doesn't. Satan will let you have what feels good. Because he knows it's going to destroy your life. And God says, blessed or happy with you when you when what makes me sad makes you sad because you will avoid the things that would destroy your life both in this life and the next. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are they who said, Lord, I'm sorry that I feel sad. I don't have as many friends, but if I have to do the wrong thing to hang out with them, I'd rather be by myself and have you than have a whole bunch of people and lose my soul. Because what profit a man to gain the world, to gain status, to gain wealth, to gain power, to gain followers and likes and subscribers, but yet lose his soul. Verse 2, Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. Pull that up. I want you to see. What did it say? Description in the end there. This is what God wants you to see. This is why you're blessed. If what makes him sad makes you sad and you avoid it. What did it say? But in his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's what makes him excited let's keep going what does it do to him verse three pull that up for me <laughs> let's read it he is like a tree planted by the streams of water now stop right there why is it important that he put in there that he's planted by the streams of water if you don't water a plant you have to keep coming back to water or it will die but god says if you follow my way i will put you in the flow where you'll never have to worry about life again and your roots will be strong you will be strong and able to stand the world you won't just be any tree you'll be a tree planted by the rivers of the water let's go ahead and keep reading of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in all that he does he prospers god is putting lines of demarcation between you and the world why is he doing that because he wants to protect you from what's bad and direct you to what's life-giving I didn't put it up there, but if you could pull up Psalm chapter 1 and verse 4, if you could do that real quick, because I want you to see why he does that. Psalm chapter 1, verse 4. If they can pull it up, if you can't pull it up, that's fine. They'll pull it up in another screen. Psalm chapter 1, verse 4. I will tell you what it says. It says that the ungodly are not so. That's what he's trying to help you. 
what did it say? The wicked, can pull that back up. I want us to read that together. That's good. Pull it back up on the screen. I'll wait for you. I'm patient. Verse 4, pull up verse 4. What does it say? The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. God says following me is more than just having fun and love. I'm trying to protect you from what is wrecking your life. And the most dangerous part about it is if you could see the wreck, you would avoid it. But it is a slow progression into sin from walking. To standing, to sitting, to judgment seat. Jesus. But God wants us to reconnect the line. Why does what God makes sad, what makes God sad, make me sad? Because this is where mourning comes from. Mourning comes from the severing of a connection. Why are you upset when your loved one died? Because you can't contact them on the earth like you used to. A connection has been severed and it causes mourning. You may be saved, but if you're living in the world and hopping in between, there's a fellowship with God that you are not enjoying. We mourn when that connection is severed. That's why God tells us that he doesn't want us to be in those things because they are delightful but deadly and we must live in a state of spiritual evolution of the mind in plain English we must live in a state of repentance metanoia that's what the word repent means the word repent you may not know it but it doesn't have anything to do with changing your behavior that's what we've told people forever that when you repent, you stop doing what you're doing. But metanoia is actually deeper than that. It comes from two words, which means to change the mind. In other words, if I change your mind, I don't have to worry about changing your behavior. For so is a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So when he says repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says start to see things the way I want you to see them. Stop letting the world dictate to you what's cool and what's right and how to think. Stop letting the world tell you what's acceptable. And let me tell you what's acceptable. God loves his love produces lines of demarcation that give us boundaries between his kingdom and the world's kingdom. Why do we have boundaries? We went to Cleveland to see my goddaughter the other day and visit, visit my friend and his wife. And, and I noticed something that when we came back to Michigan, it had a sign that said pure Michigan. Why is that? Because it wants you to know that you are no longer under the laws of the state of Ohio. I have to let you know that you are going in. Somebody doesn't like Ohio. They raise their hand and pray from that. They must not be a Buckeyes fan. But at the end of the end of the day, it lets you know that you are going into another land, another jurisdiction. You are leaving in there and you're crossing a boundary. What was true in Ohio is not true in Michigan. You have to live under those laws. And that's what God is saying. What was true when you were in the world, when you were in the world, you could do whatever you wanted to do, you could do whatever you want to do. You could drink all the liquor you wanted to drink, dance, stay all night, smoke all the weed you wanted to smoke, do all the stuff that you weren't supposed to do, be as promiscuous as you wanted to be, but you were in the world. I'm not talking to people that are in the world, but if you name the name of Christ, your boundary has changed, and there are new rules, and he determines what's right. He determines what's good. 
When we follow those lines, they help us live in true spiritual blessings and avoid the destructive tendencies that this world offers. It was my intention as I began to preach this to do this with a soft and kind and gentle voice because of the nature of the subject. I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable, but I noticed something. God has me passionate. You know why? If you see somebody walking toward the 18-wheeler, you don't walk in there and say, excuse me. You have 20 seconds to live. <laughs> Would you mind just moving out of the way? Because I know you, you like standing here, but, but there's a bus right here. We only have 15 seconds. I'm going to move. Now, if you'd like to stay there, that's fine. I, it's not up to me to tell you what to do. It's not up to me to run your life. So if you'd like to stay in front of that bus, that's just fine. If you'd like to stay in that scene, that's fine. No, when you see somebody, you might not even know them, but if they don't see a bus coming, you reach. You don't care what you hurt. You don't care what you break. You grab them and you say, move, get out of the way. When you see somebody, especially one of your brothers and sisters, sinking in sin, because yes, Christians sin. When you see your friends and all of a sudden they, they stop following their rules, and, and he, uh, what are rules? Like young people, when you see young people coming up and they go on dates by themselves uh, with the opposite sex and they're unsupervised, well, everybody else does it, but you shouldn't be doing it. You know why? Because there's temptation by there and sin feels good, but you don't say anything because you say, I don't want to alienate them and be overbearing. So you let them do it. And after a while, Sin creeps on in. No, you you know what you say? Move. Get out of the way. No, you're not taking my daughter nowhere uh, by herself. No, you're not going to do that. She's going to be right here. Because I set a line of demarcation. Because I love her. And I know everything she likes doesn't like her. And if you be honest, everything you like doesn't like you. It will destroy your life. I'm almost done. John 1, 2, 15 through 17. Pull up 1 John 2. We're going to read this. Why so much scripture? Because that's what we need. We need the word. I'm like LeVar Burton. You don't have to take it. My word for it. <clears throat> Go to verse 15. Go one back. Go to verse 15, 1 John 2, 15, because that's the main one I want. There we go. Let's read it together. What does it say? Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't live in the world and live in God's kingdom. It doesn't work. You can't be a shacking Christian. It don't work. You can't be a dope living Christian that, that lives your life high all the time. You can't. It doesn't work. It may feel good because you're in church, but the church ain't in you. And if somebody don't tell you the truth, one day you're going to close your eyes and open them and realize you're not in the destination you thought you were going to be in. I'm not just going to habits. You can't be a jealous or a hateful or, or, or unforgiving Christian. Like Brother Bob said, if you can love, 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 uh, do all the stuff that church folks want you to see, but you got somebody in your heart, you know you haven't forgiven because of what they've done to you, you will not make it. I don't care how much it hurts. 
Nothing hurts like trying to forgive somebody that you know meant to do you harm, that know they were trying to destroy you, and you have to get on your knees and pray for that person and pray for their well-being, knowing you don't like them, knowing you hurt by what they did, and saying, but if I don't forgive them, my heavenly Father won't forgive. Sometimes you got to get on the altar with tears in your eye and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I really don't want to be here. I don't want to be preaching for that good. I want to be preaching for you to kill them. I want to be preaching for you to get them. But, Lord, I'm going to go contrary to what I feel and say, bless them. And if they're not saved and that's what caused the hurt, save their soul. God, I want to be more like you. Let's keep reading 1 John 15 through 17. I want to let you out of here, but we're going to leave in just a second. 1 John 2, 15. What does it say the world is? Just in case somebody needs a clarity or a definition, he gives you one. What does it say? Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is the world? Verse 16 tells us, what does it say? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whatever does the will, whoever does the will of God abides forever. What God is saying is when you love the world, you are on a sinking ship. You don't want to fall in love with a sinking ship because if you want to live, you've got to kiss that ship goodbye. I know I like to smoke weed. I don't, but people do. But you got to kiss that ship goodbye. You might like to be promiscuous, but you got to kiss that lifestyle goodbye. I know you've been living together forever, but get married to move out. You got to kiss that lifestyle. Goodbye. For none but the righteous shall see God. Well, he's just picking on certain sins. That's why I wanted you to read that. Because whatever is the lust of the flesh, whatever your heart lusts after, more than it does God. Whatever you seek, fame or status that makes you pride, the pride of life. Whatever you see that draws you away from God. I will come to church every Sunday, but I got to make this money so I can say, God bless me with the house that I ignored him to give me. The proud of life. I care more about money and status and houses and nice savings accounts. Care more about making money. But when I'm on my deathbed, I realize money can't do me no good. Houses and friends won't do me any good on my deathbed. The only thing that will do me good is my relationship with God. It determines where I leave from here to the next. So what is he saying is blessed are they that mourn. I'm going to put it in plain English. Blessed are you when you shun sin and you cling to Jesus. To 
turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. And this the cares of this life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Comfort is in God. So if you want to be comforted, you've got to come to God. Isaiah 61 and 3 will tell us that. It said, that we've heard Jesus say that, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to teach the gospel to the poor. But then he says this, verse 3, to grant to those who born in Zion, for those who gave up the pleasures of the world for me. What will you get? <laughs> Thank you, Holy Ghost. He says, to give them what? A beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of faint spirit. <laughs> they may be called oaks. There's that word tree again. Of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Peter did it this way. Peter was listening to Jesus when the rich young ruler went away. And Peter had a couple of boats. He had a little money. And he got mad with Jesus. He said, Lord, we give it up everything to follow you. Jesus said, if you give it up to follow me here, you'll gain it all back. Not just in this life. But in this life and the next. So there is a good grief. Good grief is godly sorrow. Good grief is saying, Lord, I repent of my sins. I'll be honest with myself. My values are the world's values. I define myself by what the world says. I'm either conservative or not conservative, Democrat or Republican, pro-life or pro-choice, pro-L plus everything else, or an anti-L plus everything else. That's, that's how that, no, 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 God says, take the world's labels off of you and just say, I belong to the kingdom of God. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I think about the issues of the day. What does his word say? Because I want to be with Jesus when he comes. As we get ready to close, I want you to hear the words of Paul. Paul says, oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. In other words, that I only, only thing that matters is being with Jesus. Because when my heart stops beating... I don't want my life to end. I want that to be where my life truly begins. That I'm not scared of death. Death is nothing to be feared of by the believer, but death is a doorway to something that's much better to come. If you learn how to have good grief. Well, I'm saved, but I'm in the world where well, you're missing out on fellowship with God. And there's nothing so sweet than to get on your knees and call to God. And he called back to you. I don't know about you, but I want good grief. Does anybody want to love what God loves and hate what God hates? Does anybody want to be closer to God today? Well, these altars are open. I don't care if you've been saved forever. If you know you're not living like God wants you to live and you have let the world define you and come to these altars today.